0: Welcome to Planning for Win Financial Guidance in Life. I'm Kevin Pinkley. Thank you for joining us. Today, we'll be discussing property characterization, community versus separate property. And Liza Green is joining us today. Thank you for joining us, Liza. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Kevin. Thank you for having me.
0: You bet. Liza, uh, for people to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that?
1: So I work for the law firm of Laura and Associates mm-hmm. in the Galleria area in Houston, Our phone number is 713-600-1717. Call that number, and we'll be happy to help anybody who would like our assistance.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. Well, uh, property characterization, separate versus community property. Where would you like to start?
1: So, Kevin, this is uh, such a hot topic when Mm -hmm. it comes to family law. Um, Our firm practices primarily in the area of family law. And I consult with people all the time when they come in. uh, They're having trouble in their marriage, and they're looking to possibly get divorced. And they start talking about division of the marital estate. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's a lot of confusion about what is separate property and what is community property. So I thought it would be uh, a good idea for us to discuss the differences between the two um, and what people can do to protect uh, their property interests when they're married
0: well i guess the first question is that sometimes people don't understand fully which understandably so that there's not such a thing as community property and separate property um so we hear that so um and how can there in the state of texas be community property and separate property and and how do people make informed decisions on what's what
1: So the first thing to remember is that if you're married, there's a Mm -hmm. presumption that everything that you own is community property. Mm -hmm. Um, And a a misconception that a lot of people have is if I'm going to work and I'm earning an income, that that's my property, that's Mm -hmm. my separate property. Mm -hmm. And if I pay for something with that income, that's my property. And that is not the definition of separate property under Mm -hmm. the Texas Family Code.
0: Okay. So depending on, and I'll just call it what asset class or what type of property we're talking about, so it could be very different. I think usually, and and maybe you'll agree, that people look at hard assets as separate property versus community. But as you mentioned, they don't really consider income, uh, either current or future, as um, community property. So uh, that's very different than what actually is the case, correct?
1: Absolutely. Um, There are, you know, obviously there's different types of property that Mm -hmm. people own. They may own real property such as their home. Mm -hmm. Uh, They can own um, other types of personal property, cash assets, Mm -hmm. um, stocks and bonds and those types of things. A lot of time people don't consider what the different characterizations of those types of assets might Mm -hmm. be.
0: So I could see it could get very confusing.
1: It can. Okay.
0: (laughs) And obviously um, things can get more complicated if there's been other marriages. Um, I I just think that it would just kind of snowball and get more and more involved. Is that correct?
1: That is correct. Mm -hmm. So again, as I stated uh, a few minutes ago, the first premise or presumption is mm-hmm. that any asset that you own, if you're married, is community property. Mm-hmm. So it then becomes your burden if you want to claim there's, that you have a mm-hmm. separate property um, asset to establish how that separate asset was acquired. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it was acquired during the marriage doesn't necessarily make it community. Mm-hmm. And so that's a confusion to a lot of people as well. If you bring a piece of property or an asset into the marriage that is presumptively going to be your separate asset Mm -hmm. if you can trace it. And tracing is a whole nother um, line of inquiry that attorneys will have when they are trying to separate out a marital estate. Okay.
0: So when you say tracing, does that mean just going back in history and looking at the history of that? Is that what we're talking about?
1: That's a part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, certainly, if you can establish that you owned, say, a home before Mm -hmm. you got married, then that will be your separate property home. Mm -hmm. Um, There's other issues that Mm -hmm. may come up. Um, We can get go into reimbursement and Mm -hmm. those types of issues. So there still might be a community interest Mm -hmm. in that property. But the number one rule is that once the property is characterized as either separate property or Mm -hmm. community property, it's going to that. Characterization is going to remain the same throughout. Um, So, owning something prior to marriage—if you've got the documentation to establish Mm -hmm. that, in fact, you had that that asset going into the marriage—that would be your separate property.
0: Okay. Well, you had originally started with income, so I want to ask some more questions about income. And um, my experience has been income and a couple other topics tend to be the most confusing to people that may be listening on what they think and and don't think is actually the case. So, you you know, let's talk about some examples where we we have a couple and they've been married and um, let's say one works outside of the home and one doesn't. A lot of times we hear the example that, um, well, my spouse works outside the home So that's her income, but I don't work outside the home, so I don't have any income, and her money is hers, and since I really don't have any, then I don't have any. And sometimes, at least I hear, uh, I can't even proceed uh, moving forward uh, if we're talking about divorce because I don't have an income, and I think we hear that quite a bit, and that's just not the case, correct?
1: That is correct. Um, So any income that a person earns during the marriage Mm -hmm. is community income, Mm -hmm. meaning whether you work or not, Mm -hmm. your spouse's income, a portion of that, 50%. Mm -hmm. And it's an undivided interest. So Mm -hmm. that confuses a lot of people. But for simplicity's sake, we'll say 50% of that Mm -hmm. um, belongs to the wife, 50% to the husband. Mm -hmm. And then vice versa. So you may have a two-income household Mm -hmm. um, where one of the spouses earns considerably more than the other spouse, you still, you take the the pot as a whole, if you Mm -hmm. will, and each party has a 50% community interest in that entire pot. Mm -hmm. Um, So even if this, let's say the wife doesn't earn as much as the husband does, she still can rely on the husband's income for purposes of her community income.
0: Okay. So that's a great example. And sometimes to go further down the trail, if you will, that you'll hear people say, after you've explained it like that, well, but that incomes are always came into his account and my name's not on there. So then people, uh, well, I'll let you explain, but sometimes people think, well, the conversation ends there because, well, the incomes already always came in someone else's separate account. and, and, you know, legally, uh, I can't make a claim to that. So...
1: Correct. Yeah. And that, that seems to be more and more the case where mm-hmm. people will maintain separate accounts mm-hmm. um, in their individual names. And just because title to an account mm-hmm. or even a piece of property mm-hmm. is in one of the parties' names does not mean that that is their separate property. Mm-hmm. You still may have a community asset... Um, Again, it depends on when it was acquired. Was Mm -hmm. it acquired prior to the marriage? And if so, can you trace it? Mm -hmm. Or was it acquired during the marriage? And Mm -hmm. if it was acquired during the marriage, it's going to be community, Mm -hmm. no matter whose name it's in. Whether, you know, whether husband put 100% of his income into his account, Mm -hmm. wife still has a claim, uh, a community claim to that account.
0: Makes sense. But very confusing to (laughs) people sometimes. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think people... Sometimes like to have it that way, that kind of cloud things up maybe. And um, not always, but I I think uh, at least sometimes I see that more than we probably should. Um, So income. um, So I'll lump this kind of in the same bucket. Sometimes we hear the same conversation if someone has a pension with a company. And usually I hear it explained something like, well, so-and-so worked for this company, and it's their pension because I didn't work there. Is, is that how we should look at it or not?
1: No, yeah. um, that's definitely not the way mm-hmm. that the law looks at it. Certainly any interest in that pension that was, again, acquired mm-hmm. prior to the marriage is that spouse's separate mm-hmm. asset. But what was earned during the marriage mm-hmm. is community. Now, it gets a little complicated because you can't just say, you know, say we got married on June 1st of 2020 and mm-hmm. therefore, you know, X amount that was earned prior is mm-hmm. separate and mm-hmm. X amount that's earned afterwards is community because mm-hmm. there's a, it's a little bit more complicated uh, than that. But, but certainly a portion of that would be separate and a portion mm-hmm. would be community.
0: Well, that's just why people should reach out to council and have them really explain it because sometimes, as you said, it's complicated and involved and in many cases, it's really worth the conversation <laughs> because sometimes we're talking about substantial income over the period of years and, and the possible benefits that are there, and it's worth the conversation just to find out what the details are.
1: It is absolutely worth a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally believe anybody who is contemplating marriage mm-hmm. should – have a discussion with council about what is separate property, mm-hmm. what is community property, mm-hmm. and how they might be able to protect mm-hmm. those assets. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, usually when you have someone coming into your office for a premarital agreement, mm-hmm. which I'm sure most of the listeners have heard of that, they think of someone with high dollar mm-hmm. um, estate. But even someone who maybe has a modest estate. Mm-hmm may need to protect those assets. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to do a premarital agreement, Mm -hmm. but there are certain things that they can do um, to be able to protect Mm -hmm. those separate assets that they're bringing into the marriage.
0: Well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. I I think if someone would have asked me before I uh, saw some real case examples and maybe decades of history, is if someone would have asked me 30 years ago, you know, Kevin, how do you feel about some type of premarital agreement? I probably would have said, nah, you know. Um, But the reality of it, as you said, um, things can get complicated and sticky, and then just to have someone's wishes on paper is a good thing, and it leads to less confusion and possible disagreements later. And it's kind of a strange conversation uh, for people because, you know, you're going to be sharing things as a couple – but yet, you know, there's a page or two there or more. And I don't think it interferes with the relationship. Uh, it just helps clear things up, and I would recommend it in a lot of cases.
1: Absolutely. And the way I look at it is kind of the rules of the game, if you mm-hmm. will. You know, what, what are going to be the rules, the financial rules mm-hmm. between the parties mm-hmm. during the marriage? It doesn't necessarily mean that we're contemplating mm-hmm. divorce, which is kind of the misconception of people when Mm -hmm. they think, oh, you know, this is all about what if we get a divorce, but it doesn't have to be that. It -hmm. it can be just what are the going to be the rules of our financial estate Mm -hmm. uh, during the marriage. And
0: and it protects both parties. It's, it's just not one-sided. And sometimes I think people, the first thing that pops in their head is, well, it's protecting this person but not the other. And it's not always the case. And, um, um, do you think both sides should seek that advice? Because I think maybe we think sometimes, or at least I have in the past, that one party is seeking that protection and uh, the other party should also?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. both both parties mm-hmm. need to um, have their own counsel, mm-hmm. um, look into what is coming into the marital estate mm-hmm. and how to protect mm-hmm. each individual's interest.
0: So, I wanted to reemphasize that you mentioned both parties should have counsel. So, would you suggest that both parties use the same counsel or different counsel?
1: I would say each party needs their own counsel, independent counsel. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that there's no conflict. conflict of interest yeah. Well, I,
0: I mentioned that because from time to time, and I know you've seen it a lot more than I have someone will sit down and say, uh, hey, I signed this agreement. It made sense many years ago. Uh, We used their attorney, and I never had anyone else look at it. And then, not always, but sometimes uh, we really didn't understand what we were signing and how it could affect us decades later. And people uh, are shocked to understand. I mean, it's written in English, but they're shocked to understand what it really means and 10 20 30 years later is not the time to really find out what it means and i I guess i would just say if they're seeking counsel by all means you need to seek your own as you said yes
1: absolutely yes
0: do do you find that most people if if you look back you know over the last 10 or 20 years that people have done that or they've used the same
1: person I would say in most cases, people do use their own counsel. Okay. Uh, now, I, I've heard stories of, well, I had my own counsel, but they, you know, they didn't really advise me or I didn't understand what mm-hmm. they were telling me, mm-hmm. you know. But I would say in the majority of the cases that I've seen, mm-hmm. people do have their own counsel.
0: Right. Well, I think that's very good. Um, so, um should you, you know, to get this counsel, should you have it prior to marriage or after marriage, or does it really matter, or what's your thoughts?
1: I mean, it doesn't really matter. You Mm -hmm. can do it after you're married, Mm -hmm. Um, and it does, you can even do it many years after you're married Mm -hmm. if you choose to do so. Uh, I just think by doing it prior to marriage, it clears up a lot of issues and, you know, lessens the possibility of argument mm-hmm. over the finances.
0: Well, I was going to say if you had it afterwards and it was much afterwards, that might be a tough conversation to have. <laughs> I don't know how you would start that conversation.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there, there's a variety of reasons why you would want to do it <laughs> down the road. Um, you know, I, I think the difficulty with doing it after the marriage especially if it's significantly after Mm -hmm. the date of marriage, at least typically what I've seen is it's because somebody has done something that has caused a a Mm -hmm. rift in the marital Mm -hmm. relationship. And so this is like, well, I'll agree to try to work on this Mm -hmm. if you'll sign this agreement. And so, you know, there's some argument that that's coercion Mm -hmm. into signing an agreement. A contract because it is a contract between the parties.
0: Well, I just had a question pop into my head that people might wonder: Do you have to sign an agreement either before or, a, or after some, you've been married? Do you have to sign that document?
1: Of course not. Yeah, that, it's yeah. A, you know you need to be signing it free you right. know, of, okay. of your own free will.
0: Well, I, I think some people have thought that uh, hey, I have to sign it. Or, uh, I need to sign it. And, uh, the short answer is you don't have to do either. You don't need to, and you don't have to, there may be good reason to, but again, you have to have someone look it over to see if it's in your best interest. Or Absolutely. Not. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Well, uh, um, well, I got to ask, what's the longest you've seen, uh, after a marriage that someone's came in with, an agreement?
1: The longest I've seen, I think, is around 24 years. Really? Okay. Yes.
0: Right. I was yeah. just curious. That's uh, <laughs> that's pretty good stretch there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure. Sh- yeah, I'm sure that was an interesting conversation. <laughs> um, okay. Well, we've talked about income. Um, I think, at least from what I've heard in the past, um, then another area that tends to be confusing is the household. Yes. And household can be the primary residence. Uh, or not it can be rental property it can be the combination of things and um, so there's how do we sort out or what's a good rule of thumb when we're looking at community versus separate when we're talking about the household how does that work generally
1: well you know there when you're living in a home together mm-hmm. there's a um, community interest in the homestead mm-hmm. and so community interest in homestead doesn't necessarily equate to community interest mm-hmm. in the asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be, if husband, say, had a home before, you, before the marriage and wife moves in, mm-hmm. wife then acquires a community interest in that homestead because mm-hmm. they're residing there together but it's still husband's separate property. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned a little bit earlier about a reimbursement. If the community, if then they decide, you know, hey, we need to remodel this kitchen mm-hmm. or put a pool in the backyard or, or, you know, take, make any kind of improvement to the property, then, then a reimbursement claim could arise Mm -hmm. where the community has a right to ask the separate estate to reimburse for the increased value Mm -hmm. to that separate property. Um, if we're talking about rental property, that's a whole nother issue. Mm And, um, and, It kind of goes back to the income Mm -hmm. because income doesn't necessarily just mean when I go to work and I get a paycheck, Mm -hmm. that's of course income, but you also may have rental income Mm -hmm. that would be community as well, even though it might be a home piece of property that one of the spouses owned prior to the marriage. Doesn't change the fact that that's their separate property, Mm -hmm. but what they're earning off of that property is a community um, asset.
0: So what I'm hearing is that it can be cloudy and confusing, and sometimes people will want to explain things that this happened to my aunt, and they think they're in the same situation, or this happened to my neighbor, and that's just not the case, correct? They have to look at their individual situation.
1: That is true. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a unique Mm -hmm. situation. I can say I've been doing this for 38 years, mm-hmm. and every every case is unique, mm-hmm. um, has some sort of unique aspect to it. So you can't go down the street and ask your best friend or, mm-hmm. you know, a neighbor or relative or anybody mm-hmm. um, what happened in their case, because mm-hmm. what happened in their case doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen in your case.
0: Right. Well, and since you mentioned it, the that people have to look at their own individual situation even if someone's going down the road where there's going to be a conversation about whose property this is, whether it's community or separate or maybe even a combination of those, um, is it out of the ordinary to have each person's attorney that if they're going through a divorce disagree on what may be community <laughs> and separate property?
1: It happens all the time. Okay, I'm shocked.
0: <laughs> I'm joking. But so, so uh, what we're doing, folks, is just emphasizing that. It's not always what you think it might be or even what the other side of the table, if you will, wants to explain it as um, because those are conversations that tend to be sometimes lengthy and complicated and sometimes there's a disagreement and sometimes the other party is just wrong.
1: And that's true. And Mm -hmm. and I hear often enough where somebody will come in and say, well, my husband's attorney says, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, you know, the response to that is, well, Your husband's attorney is entitled to his or her opinion. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way it's going to go. Let's take a look at what we've got going on here, and Mm -hmm. it could be they're right. Mm -hmm. We don't know until we look at the entire picture, and that's kind of important to emphasize as well. It's looking at the totality of the circumstances Mm -hmm. um, as to how this property was acquired, because again there are certain situations where mm-hmm. it may have been acquired during the marriage but it's not community mm-hmm. so um, you know you've got to you've got to look at the totality of the circumstances of how and when that property was acquired
0: absolutely and and i think some people get wrapped up in the in the notion of well this is how we've done it for the past 10 20 30 years and that's their notion of well that's how it's supposed to work should we go our separate ways. And you can treat property, you know, in your household how you want, but as you said, you know, the state or the legal system looks at it very differently and, you know, whatever arrangement you had, fine. But, you know, now we're going by the, I'll just say the letter of the law, if you will. And sometimes that's very different, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, are the, conversations with separate property, um, worth, uh, I mean, we mentioned this briefly, but I I just, I think sometimes during this process, people get really frustrated when the conversation goes to separate versus community. And then there's questions. And then sometimes you have to look at the history of it and transactions and and documents. And sometimes people get frustrated and, um, you know, I, I, I mean, it's understandable to get frustrated, but people, this is a point in time where they don't need to be frustrated because they're talking about very important things, correct? Yeah.
1: Yes. And, you know, anytime, especially if you're going through a divorce, it's going to be an emotional time. Mm -hmm. Um, I I try to get my clients to look at the division of the property as a business transaction Mm -hmm. and kind of try to separate out the emotion from that. Um, that's not always easy to do I bet yeah <laughs> uh, but that's 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 really what it is it's a business transaction mm-hmm. it's a financial transaction mm-hmm. and it needs to be approached that way mm-hmm. um, so that you know you get the best deal mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. will from uh, from the separation yeah. of the estate and rightfully
0: so Well, thank you, Liza. We're going to take a break for a moment. And when when we're back, we'll continue with Liza Green on property characterization, separate versus community property. We'll be right back.
1: Second Saturday Divorce Workshop provides unbiased information to help you understand your options and move forward with your life. This Divorce Workshop is for you if you are contemplating divorce, in the process of divorce, already filed for divorce, or post-divorce. You will explore the emotional, legal, and financial aspects of divorce from professionals who have guided others through divorce. For more information on this divorce workshop, contact SecondSaturdayWoodlands.com or call 832-375-0900.
0: We're back. This is Planning for Win Financial Guidance in Life. I'm Kevin Pinkley. Thank you for joining us today. We're back with Liza Green, and we'll be continuing our conversation with um, uh, property characterization, separate versus community property. Thank you, Liza.
1: Thank you.
0: All right. So we're going to continue with the types of conversations that come up with when we're discussing community and separate property. And one of those... Topics is inheritance, so when we have an inheritance come into a relationship, and then we're later having the conversation about going our separate ways, what do we need to know about inheritance, and how's that handled, and how's that not handled?
1: So, Kevin, inheritance Mm -hmm. would be an individual's separate property. Mm -hmm. You're entitled to, if you're receiving an inheritance from friend, family member, whomever. Um, That would be your separate property, and a lot of times that happens during marriage, Mm -hmm. and people tend to commingle those uh, funds Mm -hmm. with the community estate, and so that can be a very confusing uh, situation if we have a commingling of an inheritance with the the community. Um, I always recommend People, if they can, put their inheritance into a separate account Mm -hmm. um, and maintain it as a separate account so that at least we can identify Mm -hmm. what it was um, that that person inherited.
0: So when you mention the word commingle, um, I kind of have a definition of what that is and probably everyone else does. So when you're talking about commingling, what exactly are we talking about?
1: So we're talking about putting two separate types of estates together Mm -hmm. um, meaning we put community funds in with separate funds Mm -hmm. um, and they stay there for a period of time then that would be considered a commingling of those Mm -hmm. two estates. Uh, For instance if you have just if the household is just maintaining one bank account Mm -hmm. um, even if it's just one savings account and then you take your inheritance and stick it in there Mm -hmm. um, and you draw on that savings account from time to time then you being able to identify what in that savings account is still your separate property Mm -hmm. inheritance can be difficult Um, you would start with having the will Mm -hmm. um, that you inherited through as evidence of Mm -hmm. what that inheritance was um, but it isn't necessarily as easy as just saying, well, I inherited $50,000 and mm-hmm. put it into this account um, because there's a commingling of mm-hmm. other, uh, other funds going into that account as well.
0: So kind of my simple way of putting it is it's what you do with it. Right. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So And it's not just what you do with it that one day that you receive it. It's during the history of the marriage, correct? Correct. Okay. Right. And I think that's kind of a shocker to people that uh, there's this clear line of, hey, I received it from mom and dad or Uncle Joe or whoever. And okay, no other questions. And then we'll just do with it what we want. But that's not the case, right? That is
1: definitely not the case. Mm -hmm. And, you know, surprisingly to me, a lot of people think, well, we're married. Mm -hmm. And so it is community property Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we got it during the marriage. And then, you know, uh, something happens and the spouse who inherited it is all of a sudden like, well, wait a minute, mm-hmm. you know, this is my separate property. I want it back because I used a portion of it um, or commingled it with the, with the community.
0: So it sounds like to start with that people, if they choose, can make it very clear that it's either separate or community property, correct? Correct. Yeah. And they would do that by going and seeing someone like yourself. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that they're not having the conversation 25 years later. Right. Okay. Yes. And um, so, you know, um, a couple's been married, and if they have an agreement prior to that or not, fine. And, you know, it's up to them to decide. But earlier we were talking about should, should a couple have that premarital agreement. Um, and, and I definitely want to know your answer. But, uh, you know, when an inheritance comes in, I think, in my opinion, that's the time definitely that you need to have some type of documentation that says this is separate property if you choose it to be because um, that's later when I see a lot of problems later um, uh, coming up. Would you agree? I would yeah. agree. And,
1: and, and let me make something clear. An inheritance is separate property. Mm-hmm. How, if you treat it as separate mm-hmm. property, though, mm-hmm. that is really the key. Okay. Um, you know, if you're going to treat it as separate property and you're going to segregate it out mm-hmm. from the community mm-hmm. and put it in its own account or, you know, in a, its own investment somewhere, mm-hmm. then, in, you know, it's, it's more easily identifiable mm-hmm. when it comes time to, to separate things out. Um, you, but just because it is separate doesn't mean you're going to treat it as separate. Mm-hmm. You, if you choose to put it into a community account... That's certainly your prerogative, mm-hmm. and you're certainly free to share it with whomever you wish to share it with. Mm-hmm. It's just don't be surprised when it, you're you know ten years down the road, and you're dividing things out, and you say, "Oh, I got fifty thousand dollars from my parents," um, and the, you know your attorney says, "Well, that's your separate property," and you don't have any way of establishing mm-hmm. what's left in that account that actually is the separate property. Or it's ex- let me put it this way: it's extremely expensive to prove what is in okay. that account that's your separate
0: property. So you're saying people might disagree on if inheritance is their separate property or community property?
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was going to say that, you know, sometimes you'd mentioned there's hot topics or hot buttons or discussions. Um, I've seen probably nine times out of 10, whatever the conversation was when someone had inherited it and it's usually, well, that's yours. And you know, we'll, we'll treat it separately. Uh, many years later, um, my experience has been that almost never happens, and there's a discussion, and you said it tends to be expensive because there's a lot of time spent on it, correct? Correct, yeah.
1: yes. Um, you know, there could be some, you know, we talked about tracing earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to go back and trace what's in that account to what was put in as community, what was put in mm-hmm. as the separate inheritance, um, that could be an ins- expensive endeavor.
0: Well, and since we're talking about uh, tracing and m- maybe being expensive, one of the reasons it's expensive is because maybe over the years, there's not the history or documentation readily available. And, you know, it was deposited in this account or in this asset, and then we kind of forgot about it. And then we're kind of having to replicate the time frame going back. And that's what takes time and money, correct?
1: Absolutely, yeah. and and one thing, you know, that's uh, important to remember is bank records only go back seven mm-hmm. years. So mm-hmm. if you inherited something ten years ago, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to get all of the records that you might need mm-hmm. in order to fully trace that uh, those funds mm-hmm. that in, those inheritance funds.
0: So, Eliza, you mentioned bank records, so that would be a place that someone would go to. Um, But they need to come from certain institutions and to be in a certain format, correct? Yes. Because I've literally seen someone scroll on a napkin that says a date and it has a box with a dollar amount in it. And then you move forward 20 years later and it's got another box and and that's how they want to explain it. And and maybe if you want to start the conversation there, okay, maybe – but there has to be something other than that, correct?
1: There does. There yeah. definitely has to be something other than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, evidence that you're going to present to a court mm-hmm. has to be in a certain format. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that you might have scribbled on a, mm-hmm. a napkin or or a piece of paper or anywhere yeah. is not going to be sufficient. I mean, presumably you're arguing over it because your spouse, soon to be ex-spouse at this mm-hmm. point, is no longer agreeing mm-hmm. that, that that was your separate property. Okay.
0: So I'm imagining a scenario that sometimes the uh, inheritance uh, conversation comes up for a couple, but then if we put in um, other marriages and other families and other children, regardless of their age, I would think that conversation just becomes even more important. Then correct or or yes, could be yeah.
1: it, it could definitely be yeah. um, a lot more important and and not even. Um, in strictly the, um, the divorce scenario, mm-hmm. um, I, I see it in probate as mm-hmm. well, where there's, you know, especially if you've got children from other marriages, mm-hmm. um, former spouses, those kinds of things where um, it's unclear, you know, what funds are in a particular account are mm-hmm. that person's separate or and or community um, asset,
0: so it comes up when people are settling estates, also yes. not just in divorce. Yeah. Correct. The um, and I'm sure that would happen quite a bit.
1: It does. Okay, or it could. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And little plug, get a will. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A will. The
0: uh, <laughs> no, it makes sense. The um, so when we're talking about the tracing. Um, I mean, is that something the client can do or where, how does one go about that process just so that they can kind of get a heads up?
1: It starts with the client Mm -hmm. because it starts with them being able to bring the records necessary Mm -hmm. to um, start the tracing process. Mm -hmm. And it depends on what the asset is. It depends on how long ago Mm -hmm. um, it was received. Mm -hmm. You know, if it was an inheritance, like I said, if it was received three years ago, Mm -hmm. um, it might be something that's easily ascertainable from Mm -hmm. the client's records without having to uh, go to the expense of hiring an expert to do the tracing. Mm -hmm. Um, The longer you've had it commingled, the harder it is to trace. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, people don't always tend to keep the best records when it comes to those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that just makes it an even more expensive endeavor for an expert to try to go through Mm -hmm. and trace the funds.
0: An inheritance can be other assets other than what we would just call money, money in an account, correct?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You could have, uh, you know, inherit a piece of property, mm-hmm. um, really anything you can inherit. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there is also, you know, a, a situation, let's say you inherited a house. Mm-hmm and you sold it, you bought another house. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. that's another form of tracing that Mm -hmm. you would have to establish um, in order to uh, protect that uh, interest in your separate property.
0: So I think when you mention the house or real estate and raw property, um, that's always interesting because it goes back again to it depends on what you do with it. Yes. So... I know you've heard this a lot, but if it's a a house or rental property or raw land and someone adds cows to it or there's oil and gas on it now or they sold a piece of it or they had renters on it, then that just gets the conversation even more involved and perhaps more tricky sometimes.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Any mutations, if you will, Mm -hmm. to the asset it's going to make it more uh, difficult or more complicated Mm -hmm. to unravel.
0: So again, I I guess, um, once someone gets the inheritance sorted out, then sometimes it's a good conversation or a good suggestion to have a conversation with someone like you of this was inherited. It was inherited 10 years ago and now we're going to do something different with it because I think people skip over that process and they're like, Oh, we did everything originally right but now 10 years later, we're going to sell a piece of it or put a renter on it or, or change it somehow. And they think, well, everything's still okay. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yes.
1: Right. Anytime you're going to have a change uh, with respect to that asset, mm-hmm. you need to revisit, Okay. Um, making sure that you're protecting the uh, character of the asset.
0: Okay. Makes sense. So we talked about inheritance. Um, there's different types of transactions that can happen. And sometimes we have a conversation about gifts or gifting. So how is that different than an inheritance?
1: So gifting is where someone gives you a present, a Mm -hmm. gift, um, and that is your separate property. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spouses are often very um, surprised to hear that gifts between the two of them Mm -hmm. can be, uh, are considered separate property husband gives wife a nice piece of jewelry. That's Mm -hmm. her separate property. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, he's not going to have any interest in that jewelry Mm -hmm. if they separate. Um, you also have, you know, a lot of times parents giving gifts. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen, uh, situations where, you know, a parent uh, will give a couple a home, you know, Mm -hmm. like maybe their first home, um, as a gift and if it's titled in both names, mm-hmm. then you've got a situation where each party literally owns a 50% interest in that property as their separate mm-hmm. estate, uh, because you can't gift to the community.
0: Well, well, I was going to ask, you, you brought up parents, and sometimes parents will give different gifts. Sometimes it's actual money, they write them a mm-hmm. check, or transfer assets, or there's, there's a house, you know, a hard asset. Is there something parents can do that's simple to kind of start the ball rolling correctly, that they're kind of laying the groundwork, that it is a gift? Um, is there suggestions that parents... Well,
1: I mean, uh, you know, something simple such as writing a check, mm-hmm. if you write on the check, mm-hmm. gift, you know, um, that's one easy way to yeah. do it. Uh, there may be the necessity of a, of a, um, a gift tax mm-hmm. uh, return having to be filed and, you know, depending on the size of the gift, mm-hmm. of course, um, you know, any, any type of uh, written mm-hmm. documentation to establish that that was intended as a gift is helpful.
0: Okay. Well, that's where I was going. I, um, <laughs> the, I knew you'd fill in the blanks, but you know, something, a lot of times we see parents write a check mm-hmm. and something as simple as you said of writing on a check gift. Right. Um And when someone's looking at a copy of that check 10 years from now or 15 years from now, um, is the conversation a little different if it says gift on it versus not? I mean,
1: um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, it lays the groundwork of what it was intended for, correct? Absolutely.
1: Yes, definitely. Because, you know, there's also, you know, a discussion might come up saying, well, that was a loan by mm-hmm, my mm-hmm, my parents mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. us, and you know we now have to pay it back, mm-hmm. uh, which of course can then affect the division of the marital estate. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if it was intended as a gift, some sort of notation that that's mm-hmm. what it was that it was intended for is helpful. Absolutely, yeah. Be-
0: because the com- if it's not noted on the check, then the conversation is something like this. Uh, one party says that was a gift from mom and dad. And then the other party says, no, it wasn't. I remember it very clearly. And then everybody's kind of staring at each other right. w- thinking, <laughs> okay, well, this is going to be a little more involved than we thought.
1: Right. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's not really a good situation. Definitely I not. Yeah. You, you wrote the date on there. You <laughs> could also write the word gift if you yes. want to. Yeah. The, um, um, so, um, gifts. Um, would there be a reason not to give something to someone? I mean, um, is it automatically this gray area and you're going to commingle? I mean, well, what I'm getting at is should someone be afraid to give something to someone? Um, or, or is it, Hey, as long as you do it correctly, then, you know, good for you and proceed with the gift.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think you should ever be afraid to give a gift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, want to make sure it's protected as a gift and Mm -hmm. document it as such. Um, Like I said, I think where I see the most uh, confusion is between spouses Mm -hmm. when they give gifts. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, writing checks for some purpose. Mm -hmm. I've seen where, you know, a spouse will write a check for, you know, out of their separate, they've got their separate account all Mm -hmm. set up properly and they write a check to their spouse, meaning Mm -hmm. it for Specific thing that they've discussed that they're going to purchase, for instance, and that spouse then says, well, that was a gift to me. Mm-hmm. You know, we use that for, to buy a car, and that's now my separate property car because it was a gift mm-hmm. and not a mutation of the separate estate of the of the signer of the check. So it can get really complicated okay. in, in that
0: respect. Well, I brought that up because... Um, when people get a little older and their children grow up i mean they're always children regardless of their age but um sometimes if you lay the groundwork correctly then some of those issues that might pop up later might be less of an issue or no issue or no issue at all if the person giving the gift just kind of starts correctly and then do you suggest that maybe even the person giving the gift have a conversation with the person receiving it and say, "This is what I intended it for," and you you might want to do certain things with it moving forward to keep things from going well, that sideways. Cer-
1: that certainly can't hurt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to have that conversation.
0: Well, because sometimes they don't have that conversation. They right. um, that they just say, "Here you go," and you know maybe spending five minutes would be helpful. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. Exactly, And, you know, especially like if we're talking about a home, let's Mm -hmm. say a piece of real estate Mm -hmm. where a a parent has signed a deed over to Mm -hmm. their child, Mm -hmm. um, but it was done during the marriage and there's no notation anywhere Mm -hmm. that this was intended as a gift, Mm -hmm. then there could be an argument that, hey, that was, you know, even though it was just in one party's name, that it was intended to be... um, a community asset, even though it's really not community, um, if it's a gift. So Okay. um,
0: Uh, Well, I'm going to throw you a curveball. What if, um, I'll give you a specific example. Um, Someone, um, a parent gives a gift to their child, uh, they're in a relationship, they're married, and then they use it to go pay a joint debt. I mean, is that a clear understanding of what happened or does that create issues?
1: <laughs> well, if they okay, if they intended it as a gift and then mm-hmm. the party used it to pay right, the joint debt. Right. Yeah.
0: So they had a joint credit card and mm-hmm. they decided, hey, I'm I'm really gonna put mom and dad's money to, to cover the credit card and, and then years later the question comes up of that was separate, no it wasn't. I mean it was a gift. I mean um, th- that's a way that people can complicate things. That would
1: be that would definitely be a complication. My okay. interpretation of that is that the person who received the gift from mom and dad then gifted mm-hmm. a portion of that gift to the other party by paying off the community asset. Okay. So that's an example of gifting something unintentionally okay, okay. to the other spouse.
0: Well, yeah. we, I mean, we, I, I mentioned that because weird things happen yes. sometimes. And what may seem perfectly normal to people of, hey, this is how we're handling it. And then later it can be like, well, then that just brought up questions later that probably are going to be brought up. And, you know, it, maybe it wasn't an issue for 10 years, but it probably is now. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. The... Um, um, is there any type of um, – so, we you know, we talked about gifts that have uh, monetary value. I mean, we're also talking about gifts that maybe it's a collection of something, um, or, you know, something tangible that later ends up being valuable. So if it's gifted and, and at the time of the gift it wasn't worth a lot, but 15 years later now it's worth something, I mean – how do we handle that? I mean, it's the value that it is today, maybe.
1: It's the value as it that it is today, okay. and if the the initial um, item mm-hmm. was a gift, then whatever its value is today is still. Mm-hmm that separate property gift okay so you get the benefit of the increase in value
0: well i use that example because years ago we had a situation where someone gifted a painting to someone Mm -hmm. and at the time wasn't (laughs) worth a whole lot and then many 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 years later it was oh uh this person is now notable and they're no longer here and now it's worth a lot Mm -hmm. and The initial conversation was when you received it, it was just a painting (laughs) by some obscure person. And then, you know, 40 something years later, it wasn't. So that's why I brought that up. Um, Well, Liza, thank you very much. Um, I think we covered a lot and you could even have part two of separate (laughs) versus community property. Um, uh, For people to get in touch with you, Liza, how would they go about doing that?
1: Um, I'm with the firm of Laura Dale & Associates in Houston, and the phone number is 713-600-1717.
0: Thank you, Liza. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. This is Planning for Win Financial Guidance in Life. Uh, You can catch us the last Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m., and you can always check us out online at uh, Lone Star Community Radio. Thank you very much.